ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Drop here on the Umbrella Academy Season 3 Drop Companion episodes. I am joined here today by VFX supervisor and producer Everett Burrell, senior VFX artist for Digital Film Tree, Carlo Vega, and producer, one and only, well, not one, two, one of two. There's two of us. Jamie Niece, and you will see Jason on another episode. But thank you, gentlemen, for joining us here today. You might be familiar. You've seen this before. We are at South by Southwest, where tomorrow a couple of these faces will be on the panel discussing and breaking down bringing the Umbrella Academy to life. But prior to that, I snagged them here so we could talk a little bit about season one, two, and three, and the VFX that go into this show. Everett, you have done an awful lot that I personally am obsessed with, and I'm just gonna start by thanking you for Pan's Labyrinth. That was a huge mind-expanding film for me, and the fact that you're doing so much of a similar nature and working with so many different departments, including previs, stunt teams, second unit, all of that on Umbrella Academy, the amount that you collect and distribute and hand off and build from the ground up is just humbling. And so I'm looking at Jamie and Carlo to help me walk through some of the pedestrian nature of it because I am here just to ask the questions, but honestly, I get to watch Carlo every single day battle through some of these shots. And then Jamie, you have been a true partner to us in every capacity from previs and VFX all the way through to delivery on VFX editorial. So huge thanks to all of you guys, but get me there. How, I mean, you still even have, you still have a few more months before this is actually wrapped up. Light at the end of the tunnel, yes, but. Yes, but you know, it's, you know, every season we try to top ourselves. And this season in particular, it's just bigger and more complicated and better. It's something we always strive for. We always really try to outdo ourselves every season. It shows. <laughs> 100% shows. I mean, even going from uh, Vanya, who had no powers, to then becoming the behemoth that she is, and then into season three, I mean, and also introducing Sparrow Academy, like you really did. So are you a part of the storyboard creation? Well, out of respect to the directors, normally they go off in a corner privately to storyboard their vision. Mm -hmm. And we're not there to police them. Mm -hmm. We're there to like understand what their vision is. But if it's so out of the box that we can't contain it, then that's when I'll say, whoa, you know, this is like way beyond the scope of work we can either afford or we can shoot or technically achieve. But normally we have a really good discussion before they even storyboard. Mm -hmm. And we give them what we call a director's welcome pack that I'm really proud of building every season. And it's a collection of storyboards and previs and concept art and before and afters from the previous season. Mm -hmm. It's like, like season two directors would see the season one stuff. And season three directors would see season two and one mm -hmm. uh, before and afters. The whole pack was really important mm -hmm. to put together and really express to them, these are the complexities, these are the things we're used to, mm -hmm. these are the things that are common, like a street sign fix, like 
we have to p paint out Tim Hortons. Yeah. In every shot in, yeah. in Canada. There's a Tim Hortons on every corner. There really is. Just like Starbucks <laughs> is in here. California. It's, yeah. It's, well, I'm sure it probably also important. helps for continuity, right? To make sure that every, because, you know, it's such a large production and you have so many directors coming and going. You know, these people are with us for a couple of weeks or a month. But, you know, the rest of us are here for years, it feels like. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So. Exactly. Well, that is a valid question that I, I want to dig into there for a second because, you know, the context that I have for some of these directors and DPs uh, is really only from having jumped onto some of the previous sessions. But they, especially this season, they had to even quarantine for a chunk of their time. So Indeed. how did you guys handle that? Like you, like you said, you front load them with as much information as possible, but then are you working with them on set? Are they given an opportunity to kind of look at the environment or? Well, the, the great thing about season one was we LIDARed every set. Thank you. Right? So <laughs> that data was really just for visual effects use, you know, mm -hmm. for tracking and uh, collision detection and that kind of stuff, and integration. Like Weta, for example, every time we put Pogo into a scene, they require LIDAR mm -hmm. of that scene so they can have the light bounce off the right parts of a pillar or a wall. Mm -hmm. They really want to understand where Pogo is in space. So that's a requirement from Weta. As a byproduct of that, we do that for every VFX vendor. We always LIDAR all the major sets. So luckily, with season three, we're able to use that LIDAR from season one mm -hmm. to introduce, uh, for example, our first episode in season three is a huge fight scene between the Umbrella Academy and the Sparrow Academy. Mm -hmm. And we we're very fortunate that director was in quarantine. We're able to give that LIDAR to DFT, mm -hmm. which then uh, decimated it, minimized it into a, a unity friendly environment yeah. that they could then put cameras around. And even though those directors have seen those sets before, they wanted to be able to tell those story for that first episode of season three in a unique way. Like there are some angles we just never did, like a, an angle super high up looking down or mm -hmm. an angle in the corner of a set. Like, do we have to take a wall out? Do we have to take, how do we get the technocrane in? Mm -hmm. It was very valuable for them for the director and the DP to go through those sets, mm -hmm. use the DFT uh, Cinecode system mm -hmm. with, with Andrea and the team. It was just really valuable. And, and again, you had a director in quarantine for two weeks. Yeah. They got nothing better to do. Why not why don't tech biz all this stuff out? Yeah. Well, can we go back for a second? Like you said, there's building explosions. If we look at Dealey Plaza, how did that... I'm literally asking again, I get to be you guys at home who don't know how, to, how some of these things come together. Take me from the script of where the building is exploding through having to film something that does not exist and then how, how long does a shot like that take? What do you need to prepare for that? You know, obviously you guys only had minimal time on the ground, that's why previs was so important. But then how do you know what you need to get? And then how are you building for that all the way through? You know, the, the season two, the Dealey Plaza finale was incredibly complex because uh, uh, maybe you know, we had very little time to shoot. Dealey Plaza is a very popular... Jeff said two days. Originally, we had, we had two weeks we were going to film there. Mm -hmm. Then it got narrowed down to two days. But ultimately, it came down to one day of shooting. <laughs> oh my 
So it was like one day of like yeah. scouting prep. One yeah, day it shoot. was it was yeah. intense. We had Amanda Marcellus was directing the main unit on the ground while I was directing uh-huh. the second unit drone stuff and uh-huh. the establishers, um, and it was just really going at it with a plan. The only way the plan worked is partly because of storyboards, partly because of our early tech scout, but because of the DFT, TechViz game engine, mm-hmm. we were able to put the cameras where we thought would tell a great story. Yeah, We were not allowed to go on every top of every building sure. in Dewey Plaza. We were able to, to go they on top of the book depository. That, yeah. yeah, but there's one building in particular, it's an FBI building. It's FBI. It really is. I mean, you cannot come near that building. Wow. So that was our main building. In fact, the building that explodes is an FBI building. Really? Oh my God! It's mm-hmm. totally protected. So the closer we got, you couldn't to even it, get a drone over that. We flew as close as we could, and it, it worked out great. But we were able to lidar that entire Dealey Plaza. Uh-huh. And I got a shout out to Travis Renke at Scannable, based in Houston, Texas. Uh-huh. Great guy, good friend. Him and his team went to Dealey Plaza and LIDARed the entire thing. Wow. And texture photographed it and did an amazing job. But the lucky part was it was done before they remodeled mm-hmm. most of the buildings. Oh, right. Because when we got right. there, it was under major construction. Oh. So we had to paint out all that scaffolding mm-hmm. and cranes mm-hmm. and all that stuff because they were refabbing the courthouse mm-hmm. and the building next to it was com- hollowed out. Mm-hmm. But when we tech scouted, it was still just like it was in the 60s. Wow. So Travis was lucky to go there, get it scanned before construction started. And you guys had no idea. We had no just idea. Just we just lucked out. I, I can't stress enough how important it is to get a LiDAR scan because that scan of Dealey Plaza that we received, mm-hmm. was it was huge. It was maybe like, I think, 15 to 20 gigabytes just for the scan alone, which is a lot, but it was 15 million polygons, right? 50 or 15? 15. 15, 15 million polygons. Seems like a lot. Yeah. It is a lot. So what we do is that we take that scan and then we immediately have to... Uh, bring it down and just really emphasize uh, vertex weight. Mm-hmm. So what we're doing is that, oh, okay, the floor no, is no, just... No, no, Carla, a... you got to take it back. Oh, okay, Remember sorry. Remember the audience at home. <laughs> <laughs> what, what is vertex weight? What are you That's talking about That's just the polygons. you got to tell me, too. <laughs> I'm just talking about the polygons, the, the mesh, right? Because uh-huh. when you scan it, it's getting everything. It's getting every tree. It's and getting And so polygons are kind of the triangles that make up the textures, Yes, correct? yes, right. absolutely. So literally, you you will likely hear about this even on our, our Flag Means Death season and, and why we have to reduce polys down to actually be able to transfer either into the engine or into Previs Pro. But polygons are what make things so rich and textured and believable. And when you're talking about 15 million polygons, you're you're kind of getting into like Jurassic Park. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll never forget when I strapped on the mask and I came over and I saw for the first time that, you know, tech visualization of Dealey. And, you know, and I just immediately shot 100 feet in the air, right? God mode. God yeah. mode, yeah. And, uh, and, I, and I looked at Rami and I was like, oh, my God, this is, I just feel like this is going to save our life, you know? Because I knew Everett and Phil and them were really, really trying to make sure, because we had such little amount of time. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew that somehow that would save our butt down the road between LiDAR scanning and tech vis and previs. Um, 
I can't, you know, say enough with a show this large how important it is. Can you tell me too, Vanya in that final shot of her like foot, that's not her. There's not her attached to a crane or something, right? That shot was designed differently when we shot it. It was how it was scripted, but not how it ended up in the show. That happens okay. often. Um, the way the director, the way the director wanted to shoot the scene, Vanya is being held in an FBI room, and she's being sort of uh, interrogated. Orange. Yeah, very interrogated. And when we shot the scene originally, mm -hmm. Vanya was in a horizontal position mm -hmm. and sort of laying back like this. Mm -hmm. And when Steve saw it, he goes, no, 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 I, I want a more uh, X-Men, Jean Grey, Phoenix pose. Mm -hmm. So we actually stole Vanya's head from a different episode, a completely different thing. And her, from, from her neck down, is completely CG. That's why she was so peaceful. And, that's, and, and Steve saw it, goes, no, 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 I, I want her to be epic Marvel. Like huge comic book stance. Yeah. So we had to completely create. Man, that sequence, that sequence was so complicated. Yeah. It took forever. Can I ask really quick, going all the way back to when Vanya's like just learned of her power and they put her back in the padded room, is that all practical or were there even VFX in that room? In, in season one? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's all a beautiful set. It was gorgeous. Built by uh, our production designer, Mark Steele, with the sound cones and all yeah. that. Yeah, it was cool. Uh, that, that, that set was awesome. It just, it looked so perfect that yeah. I had to ask. The, the dysfunctional stuff a part of the family in the Abdullah Academy is, mm -hmm. it's awful. They put her in a fucking padded jail cell. Well, she did slit her sister's throat. Well, we True. tried to put Everett, we tried to put <laughs> in that. With but, practical but, or VFX? But they're all, I mean, not, they're all, they're, they're all so dysfunctional. Like, that's what makes that the was show practical. charming. Well, but I yes. was gonna ask, yes. I mean, like, you're kind of, that's very much a wheelhouse, and so, like, how is, between makeup and practical effects, like, how did that happen with the rumor, then? Well, the rumor is a visual effect. It's mm -hmm. a, well, the actual, uh, a, a fluid yes, sim like, dynamic thing we do with displacement in, in Nuke, but the throat slip was a, a makeup effects. Kyle Glenn Cross and Zane Kinsley, who, who do, do all our prosthetics mm -hmm. for the show, uh, did that great slit throat. I think that the great thing about our show is, is that yes, it's a heavily uh, CG VFX show and Everett and his team do marvelous work. But you know, sometimes there's just something to be said about a practical effect, a special effect. I mean, Dylan Shadinsky, our head of VFX, he says the whole reason he wanted to get into this was because of the frying egg and Ghostbusters on the counter. Yeah, yeah. And he was like, you know, if it if it were still that that was how so many effects happened, he would absolutely jump into that. But it's just not. It is, you know, we didn't even used to be nuke, and now we're almost entirely nuke because of how much can happen in there. But like, yeah. you know, it just seems like such a massive collaboration between costume makeup because you have to take into effect what she's wearing like that has to be completely accounted for oh yeah for the throat to happen and then the makeup but you're still working on that in vfx to some capacity aren't you there's no closed doors between the departments mm -hmm. i will walk into costumes mm -hmm. and if, I, if that door's locked i will kick it down mm -hmm. because i want to go and talk to chris mm -hmm. or, and same thing with carrie meyer our production designer or mark mm -hmm. Steele. I'll walk in and, and I want to talk, I want to see, I want to explore and, and ideas. I do not want locked doors between mm -hmm. us. Not, and they could be physical locked doors, they could be mental locked doors. Mm -hmm. I don't want that. I want an open conversation always to not only figure out things creatively, mm -hmm. but to keep things safe, mm -hmm. to keep things on budget and mm -hmm. on schedule. 
Well, and what and he, what he's saying is is valuable knowledge when you're making TV or feature films anyway, because um, you know I think blood and fire, you know, a lot of times practical is great with enhancement. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I think that when mm. you see like a lot of digital hits, sometimes they just scream fake, right? So sure. and I think Everett and them are great because. You know, he wants to blow everything up and he wants to build monkeys and do all that <laughs> cool shit. But he also knows the value and sometimes it just being special effects. You know, and Aiden is a minor. And he was underage. We're not allowed to have blanks or explosions near a minor. It's a, it's, it's a rule, not only in Canada, but in America. Probably a good mm -hmm. rule. You, well, you, honestly, yeah. muzzle flares are probably the easiest thing in the world to do. So why? Yeah. Uh, I think we all learned a valuable <laughs> lesson last yeah. year on yeah. muzzle flashes. No, yeah. for, for sure. No, but... There's a lot of directors who believe that they don't, they, they look fake to them. Mm -hmm. They want the recoil. They want or the, even the reaction. And they want the reaction from the actor firing the gun. Mm -hmm. So that's something that we're going to explore in the future, how to make that better for the actors and also safer. Mm -hmm. Like, how can we have a gun that recoils, mm -hmm. maybe an LED flash as opposed to a blank flash, mm -hmm. and how can we enhance it? Yeah. I mean, I honestly can't think of a better person to be at the head of that kind of conversation than you. I mean, I just, like I said, with Pan's Labyrinth, I just remember looking at the monster at the head of the table and just thinking how much time and work went into building that practically. But then there was so much in there. And then I look at something like Umbrella and knowing that Pogo is not in any way real. <laughs> I just yeah, that blew me away too. It's mind. I thought it was maybe bending. just his head, but no. Right? How long does one shot take? It's never finished. Oh boy! Uh, and, and it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> we we went down many roads of uh, can we put an actor in a costume and just do the head and the hands? We went down a lot a lot of roads and and Weta, who I I love dearly, they're they're not only good friends, but they're mm -hmm. creative partners to the show. Yeah. All the VFX companies, including DFT, they're not vendors in my eyes. They're creative partners. Just to, just to piggyback, this man walked <laughs> into our office after season two, brought the whole VFX team into the conference room, or at least those were, that were on site that day, to say, more is coming because you killed it. We were so grateful for you. So proud of the work that we got to do together. And I don't know, I don't know that most folks watching this at home right now would understand that's not generally what happens. That's not generally what the VFX supervisor of a show would come in to do to personally thank the team. So we thank you for that. And everything right. that you're saying, I'm 100% honored. We, we are grateful for. DFT, Weta, folks, Spin, all these companies are partners in a creative endeavor. And the more you engage them in the creative process, the better the work will be. Nobody wants to be a butler. And, and I don't want to be a butler, and they don't want to be a butler. Mm -hmm. And I, I want you to be part of the family. Yeah. Part of the team. Jump on in for the big win. Well, and I'll let Carlos speak to this because I pay him a lot to say these things. <laughs> uh, but uh, we have several artists. You'll hear from them throughout any of the seasons where we touch on VFX, but part of why we're so proud of our VFX team, we're very aware of everything that Everett has just mentioned. And there are so many artists out there that just want to do good work with good people for teams that will appreciate them. And we have found that we do best 
when we serve as a home that appreciates them, understands that sometimes work is heavy, sometimes life is heavy, but it's a matter of the fact that you're doing it with people who have your backs and will actually work with you, work as a team, the transparency that you're talking about. Um, Carlo has to suffer through a Friday meeting every week where I nearly tear up with how proud I am of the team and things like that. But we have been very fortunate that we have plenty of artists that have come to DFT because they no longer want to work 85 hours a week for people that don't appreciate yeah. them yeah. and come to a home where we actually I mean, have... you're still working 85 hours. <laughs> uh, yeah, but it feels better now. Uh, so, I mean, we are a team and, you know, our, all of our artists that work for us, they're very passionate about the work, but it can also wear them down over time or they got something going on. And if an artist needs a break or something like that, right? Another, we'll pass it off to someone else and they'll take it over. Like you guys we're, collaborate we're very a lot. communicative, you know, mm -hmm. and we just make sure that no one ever gets burned out. Well, and even, you know, you talk about some of the other uh, VFX houses. That's also something we're, uh, Rami calls it co-opetition cooperation instead of competition, but we understand, you know, neighboring VFX houses, but we do that all the time. Like we actually have something called GeoPost where we will even store camera raw and do the VFX pulls to send to the other VFX vendors. It just makes sense to actually keep everyone on a similar page mm -hmm. so that that weight doesn't end up even falling to VFX editorial on the show or to have to, well, this didn't line up with this one and it's in the same sequence. And oh, it's, a, it's a lifesaver. I mean, Umbrella, me and Everett and Jason and Jeff and Steve have been doing this one for years now. And it's, but I, I've done a hundred episodes of TV with you guys. And, and a lot of times I don't have the ability to have an Everett or a Phil or a VFX team. Right. You know, for some of my shows, there's just me and Jason for the whole thing and stuff like GeoPost. The fact that, um, it's just, it's smart and logical to, to have a house like that that's willing to work with other vendors to push those camera, those raw dailies. The minute everybody's on different teams, mm -hmm. you know, me and Jason, a lot of times we get to online and we have to look at everything and say, well, not on Umbrella, because that's ever, <laughs> that's his job. But a lot of my other shows like Unreal, which you guys did mm -hmm. everything, and Cruel Summer and a lot of other stuff we've done, we have to go, Oh my gosh, these there's no continuity. You can tell that four different vendors worked on yeah. these shots. Yeah. And I think that uh, when you find places like Digital Film Tree and Mars and Spin mm -hmm. and folks that are willing to be team players, it makes our job so much yeah. easier. Yeah. Well, to, just to be fair, we don't do that on Umbrella. So how do you guys manage that? The vendors, the VFX companies around the world are so busy. It's a boom time really? for VFX companies right now. Yeah. So it's hard to get one company to commit to a giant scene. They'll mm -hmm. take a portion of it. Or we might have, a, in this season, we have an evolving effect that evolves across the season called the Google Blitz. And that was started by one particular company, mm -hmm. but in the end, it's finished by another company. Mm -hmm. So we have to share those assets. And I told all the companies from day one, look, this is gonna have to be a really collaborative season. Mm -hmm. Our VFX editor and someone you know, our VFX AE, Mr. Joe, and... Once jo again, Joseph <laughs> Suzuki. But also, yes, you did. <laughs> you'll never get him back. Come back, um, please. You'll, you'll never get him back. Sorry, bro. <laughs> Joe, wait, wait. Joe, Joe who? Yeah, never heard of him. But also, Tom, Tom, between Tom Damari, um, who's our VFX editor, and Joe, those two guys work so hard cutting in all these shots, 
it's almost unfathomable how many people, and it goes back to what you said, no doors are locked for a reason because the minute, like everybody on our show knows everything. Like mm -hmm. I'm not as involved in VFX like on other shows, like I'm not, but I know everything going on because mm -hmm. I need to make sure that if ever comes to me and has a problem that I can pr present a solution for him. Can you tell me like how much does a VFX shot change in color? Considerably, because we, we tend to work in a neutral color space in Nuke. We provide LUTs mm -hmm. and CDLs that are driven. Well, the LUT is, is designed by our colorist, Jill Bogdanovich, from Company 3. Just a legend. And, and, but, the, but the LUT is, I, I guess, our film stock. Mm -hmm. That's, it's sort of our consistent look throughout the show. Mm -hmm. But the CDLs are driven by the DP and the DIT uh, operator on set. Mm -hmm. Now, sometimes those CDL decisions are made a little heavy-handed sometimes. Mm -hmm. They're maybe a little too aggressive. Mm -hmm. But we're stuck with that in the Avid for months and months and months. Yep. So Steve might get fidgety. He might get upset, like, why is it so yellow or why is it so blue? I'd say, well, mm -hmm. look, it's, it's non-destructive. Mm -hmm. What they're doing is just a choice mm -hmm. that they made on set. It doesn't mean we have to live with it in the color session in the, mm -hmm. in the DI. And, and that's what the vendors work with, is they, they'll apply those CDLs so we can cut it in the Avid, mm -hmm. so it matches in the cut. But ultimately, I know, mm -hmm. and Jill knows, and the DP knows, that we can always go back to a neutral state and start over. Mm -hmm. And that's really important. But you're absolutely right when you say, when I get to the DI, things sometimes just don't work. And we have to go back and tweak to accommodate the color decisions. I mean, in a perfect world, we would pre-color every episode. Yeah. And we'd have it all set, and then we send the vendors, this is what we want mm -hmm. for color. And then they could dial it in from that. But we do not live in that world. And I don't know any show that lives in that world. Yeah. I'll tell you what, when no VFX is fully approved forever and Steve until they sit in color. Yeah. And uh, you know, and it's actually it's really fun to kind of watch because a lot of times for my other shows VFX isn't involved in color at all. Yeah. But on this show it's it's really cool because watching Ever and Steve and Jeff and Jill uh, kind of tweak it to its final fruition to what you guys see when it airs <laughs> is interesting and and I and a lot of times you know, I kind of look at everyone like, how close are we? Because we're really close on all this, but not until we get to color. So to answer your question, color is vital yeah. for the final product. And, and Even as an artist, I mean, we're working in linear, right? But what that gives you is that it, it's very flat. So I know with a show like Umbrella Academy that the color can go in a lot of different ways. Yeah. There's no promise of it looking good. Right, right. right. I think it, it takes people like him <laughs> and, and these digital film tree yeah, and Mars Chitinsky. and Weta. It, it takes people that are really proud of what they do. Because mm -hmm. Pogo could easily not look good, right? Instead, yeah, he sure. looks freaking awesome. It's because these guys do the work, and, and, and all of you guys do the work. I mean, even like with DFT's like editorial team, like we make sure that the effects match everything else. You know, like for instance, let's say like uh, like Number Five's like portal effect that he does. Mm -hmm. You oh, know, the blink. Yeah, yeah, the blink. So ah, we'll, the blink. That that that's, that was a script that went that came to us from Spin. And so we open that up, and it's just like this ama this masterpiece of work, right? Because it's wow. spin. So to be able to take that work and apply it and, and have the editorial team match it, because we want this thing to 
be one to one. I mean, this guy right here know? could probably talk to you for two episodes of the drop about what the blink was supposed to look like. <laughs> yeah, I, I knew the blink. I knew a lot went I mean, into that blink. Season one, you have no idea, dude. Season one, there was more conversations around the water cooler. I'm like, what does that well, blink look like? My favorite story ever was I was I was going on YouTube, just randomly looking for something, and I found a a, a YouTube channel about a guy who just does VFX from TV shows. He tries to match them, and he matched the blink in After Effects. And he, he did it like perfectly. I'm like, you mother. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it really, it's like, it's so cool. I mean, imitation is the, the most sincere form of flattery, right? I mean, it was incredible. Like, wow, he nailed it. So that's, okay, we heard about the rumor, and then we've heard about the blink. And so Luther, he is the VFX. He, like, he has to wear it. How much do you guys do on him? Ah, uh, the suit. The prosthetics? No, we don't do... You know, How it's, sweaty it's, is that guy? <laughs> <laughs> you know, when, when he's clothed, he wears a muscle suit. Uh, built by my good friend Frank Hippolito mm -hmm. at Thingergy in Burbank. Mm -hmm. And it's really beautifully designed. You know, it's, it's a body suit. It's a scan of, of, of Tom Hopper. A full body scan. And they put a spandex suit on and they sculpt individual muscles that ride uh, on top of each other. So they actually, when he moves, mm -hmm. the muscles move. Yeah. But, but when he takes his shirt off, I was gonna say, it's that's a full, what he's closed. It's a it's full a... prosthetic. It's a full wow. body yeah, suit. Yeah, but they'll still come in and clean it up and do uh -huh. some really cool stuff. A, a little bit like on his neck and wrinkles, but majority of it's it's yeah. real. Wow. But that was built by K&B season one. Uh -huh. And that suit has still lasted really? all the way to that mold and those foam pools wow. have lasted all these years. Wow. What about poor Diego? Does he get VFX? His, his knives. I mean, the knives. <laughs> yeah, the yeah. Knives. yeah. His knives. I think David's got it good. He doesn't have to worry about <laughs> any of that stuff. Here's a scar. Yeah, he yeah. does have a scar. But man, that field. Like, oh. oh, that was real, though. The, well, Are you talking about when wait, we... Wait, did you film it? And oh, then no, I thought went, you were talking no. about the corn field. We actually grew that corn. Which one are you talking about? Which oh, one are you talking about? We have a lot of fields. I'm talking about season two. I'm talking about season two of Vanya was hidden in the field, and then her power created the, it yeah. the it, yeah it, it looks yeah. like a crop circle yeah. with all through. the people though that like, oh that that's gets, yeah that's yeah what end I'm of season two, yeah. season two yeah. yeah no well that's Everett. I mean that was what we had like what twenty people in the day or something I thought oh, yeah. you were gonna tell me like oh and then we told group twenty to go onto the field no. and then we told yeah, like they did no, I think Tyler no. worked on that right so you know the the problem with that scene was we had we were shooting right up to the point where winter was about to happen. Right. Winter was coming. October, we were like in October. Winter was coming. And yeah, winter was coming. And they shot the first part of the scene. It was beautiful. Green yeah. grass. And then we had a freak snowstorm that just hammered us. And we called it Snowmageddon. We had to get creative. So half that scene is real green. Uh -huh. and half the scene is all snow. Uh -huh. So we had to roto the actors out and put in the green grass. Back. But how many actors did you... Like, and Carla, like... <laughs> well, no, it, 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 we, we just, we were like, oh. Well, well we, had to, we actually had to pivot. I mean, Steve, you know, he's a genius. He, he was willing to accept what had happened with the snow uh -huh. and kind of pivot with that whole sequence. Yeah. But also, I mean, Everett, I mean, how many people did you towel into that? Well, I mean, you know... It's, it's kind of like Klaus, that aerial we, Klaus. We break down as fast yeah. as we're there's, there's a great joke about, like, you start the day off with 100 extras, Mm -hmm. And by lunch, you have 50. And by the wrap, you have 20. Because people get bored or mm -hmm. cold Just or leave. hungry or tired, and they don't mm -hmm. want to put up with it. 
and they just bail. I wow. mean, they just bail. I, I remember end of the day, like, all right, let's do the big arrow shot. Why is there only 20 people? <laughs> well, I don't know. So-and-so left, and somebody had to go pick up his kid, wow. or I don't know. Like, human stuff. Yeah, Or just, totally. you know, for... For 50 bucks a day, do you want to hang out in the snow? Right. I, nobody does. Well, speaking of human stuff and Klaus, let's bring it home with Ben. That is uh, end of season one, especially, was huge, giant. Um, how is he handled from, I mean, obviously, you're filming something. You're filming him. And then what are you putting there to, like, what is editorial working? How are you getting to the final and then... The tentacles. You know, the, <laughs> in season one, he was never really supposed to be seen. Like at all? At all. He was, he was a ghost. He was just going to be... He was just a memory or, 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 or a little angel over Klaus's shoulder. Yeah. Talking to or him. maybe a devil. Or a devil. Uh, but we well, never... Was he just going to be we, ne we never thought it was going to be that big of a thing. Uh-huh. And then it slowly evolved into, oh, fuck, we have to build tentacles, and we have to do this and that, and then season mm -hmm. two became even more. I mean, that opening sequence of season two, yeah. we yeah. were like, it's, here it's, he is. It's yeah. three, away. even more. Wow. So the tentacles started out as sort of like, what do you, you know, Spin did it originally. He said, well, what do, what do you have in stock? Is well, we built this octopus for the Descendants. And we might have some tentacles left over from that that we can use. <laughs> and that's literally what it was. It was like leftover tentacles from the octopus creature from Descendants, wow. which is uh, from Little Mermaid, right? Whoa. And that's where it, it came from. I think the first shot you see is a silhouette behind the glass in the bank. Oh, building. season one, yeah. That was yeah. season one. So yeah. it was like a throwaway gag. It was subtle. They're like, well, hey, yeah. whatever you have in your it's stock, great, we'll works. take. I thought it was great. It'll never be featured. And then the last episode, it's featured more, so we had to build real tentacles. And then season two, it became more of a thing. And season three, we actually built prosthetics. I mean, tentacles. you opened the show wow. season three. Oh, yeah. You, you opened it, the show it, with it. It became more and more of a thing. And then season three, we had to totally redesign and revamp the whole tentacle system. Actual mind-blown face. And, I mean, but it's so much movie magic, right? Because I forget what... Um, was it Dunkirk or it might have been Australia? Very weird to conflate those two. I totally understand. But where they pulled a lot of um, the, the fighter pilots from Tora Tora Tora, oh. like scenes that were not actually in the film, but they're just leftover B-roll that's cataloged so that people can use it in movies. Isn't that wild? And like, I wouldn't have, did you guys know how, like, leftover tentacles? To answer your question, though, <laughs> I mean, yeah, we, we, well, it was a CG asset. It wasn't like, I know, I, but, but I totally yeah. get that. Yeah, but yeah. to me, it's the same kind of thing. To of answer like, your question, though, um, one of the most important things for us is to not stall or delay, but to sit on cuts until we can get some of, you know, those visual effects past mm -hmm. grayscale. So, like, Everett, you know, Blackman and Jeff, and then when, we're running through the cuts for, for, for weeks, if not months, they're looking at nothingness, right? I mean, they, I mean, we, again, back to Tom and Joe, um, those guys have to do all kinds of crazy temping mm -hmm. just to like kind of allow um, our EPs to imagine what it will yeah. be down the road. Are you using music to help at that point or no? Well, no, we, we, we temp music in day one. Yeah. From the editor's cut on, well, I mean, the thing with Blackman is, is that, you know, he sits up at night and, uh, I think he drinks a scotch and he listens to music and he says, oh shit, that would actually be... I think he probably... Sometimes I think he writes two songs he's inspired by. Well, um, 
I would love to know if there are questions that you guys have for Carlo or I, because we get to watch, so we get to CineSync with you at four o'clock and we get to, you know, send the outstanding shot list and things like that. Is there anything on our side of the house that just, I mean, you guys trust us with, but I don't know. How has the 4K HDR pipeline changed things for you guys, you know, from... You know, way back in the day, it was 720 by 480. Yeah. Then it was then it was HD. But 4K is even even most feature films aren't 4K. Don't you guys have to yet. get certified, like Netflix certified, approved, or whatever? We have we all have the gear. Yeah, we have every badge certification certification left, right, and sideways. And at this point, we are almost entirely 4K. Yeah, we have those exp very expensive HDR monitors. So we always QC shots on those. When do you think yeah. we're gonna start sh uh, editing in 4K? Actually, don't answer that way. <laughs> cost me way too much. Yes. <laughs> we're never doing it. It's funny you mentioned the, the, the 4K business, because as long as I've been doing visual effects, it's, it's been that. that. That's kind of been like the cap, and now we got 6K. So wow. the 4K How old are you? Yeah. What? I'm huh? 32. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Everett were like on HD cams and <laughs> no, betas. Dude, uh, 720 by 480 is when I started. I mean, that's... Yes, I, I, <laughs> I know, I know. So it's, it's, it's the 4K business. You just have to optimize your workflow. Yeah. That's all. And just make sure to utilize the resources of your computer right. And, make, and you know, at DFT, we have beast mode machines over there. So I can be doing three things at once. It's great. I we can render in 3D over here, do nuke stuff over here, and like tinker with some AI stuff over here that'll help well, me later. The interesting thing about 4K, UHD, et cetera, I can use all the symbols and words that you'd like, yeah. but you can't <laughs> cut corners, right? Like, because, you know, when people like Everett are sitting there, you can't do a cheap VFX shot when it's 4K. You can see every mm -hmm. pimple and every pore on the face. So I think that it's, in a lot of ways, forced all of us in the industry to be better yeah. and to always uh, take take this very seriously. Well, and honestly, too, I I fully admit I just I just have good skincare, um, but the amount of shows, every show, every person on every show now has beauty work. It's not it's not a like big hush hush secret yeah, that, anymore like built because into the it's just now. pervasive. It's yeah. for everyone. Because four K shows every floor. it shows everything, yeah. Yeah. every wrinkle, every pimple. Every, you know, everything, it's, it's unforgiving. Oh yeah, I won't get into yeah. detail, but um, it was a show you guys did for many years for us, and it was straight up built in the budget. And yeah. it was a hefty amount of money. And it wasn't like some egregious thing. Yeah. It's just you're talking about a resolution that's so unforgiving. Yeah. 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 <laughs> no, it, it, it brings everything out. Well, it really it does, just goes back to color. It goes back to my point of, you know, back in the 720 days, it was a lot easier to get away with kind of a shoddy VFX shot or, mm -hmm. or maybe bad makeup or wig. Uh, not that I want to get into wigs right now because sure. I'm, I have a lot, I'm traumatized <laughs> over wigs for every show I've ever done. <laughs> but you can't get away because those edges, right? Like, mm -hmm. And that's why these guys are some of the best in the world because they know what has to happen uh, to make it believable. And that's mm -hmm. important. Well done, y'all. All right. I think that's a wrap. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you guys. Thank we'll you. see you next time on The Drop.